Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream or wherever you get your podcasts. Someday we'll find it, the Rainbow Connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pride Connection. I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Corona, and we have a special show this evening. I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to take the president's message. Some of you may know Gabriel, after uh, after getting a shot and his parents getting the shots, was able to go to Honduras. So we put together a special show, Pride Connection, last week turned a year. And the way that we originally envisioned the programming before the pandemic hit, and it hit just as we were starting, the, you know, actually broadcasting the show, was that we would have a lot of voices from BPI. It didn't quite work out that way for the first year, although we've had many of the voices of our organization and people that like our organization or wanted to know more about our organization or wanted to educate the organization. So it's been a multitude of voices, but it's never been quite exactly what we originally attended it. So this is a first time that we're going to turn the show over to a group that would like to discuss what has been going on out there throughout the pandemic. It's a subject that I definitely take near and dear to my heart. Um, hate in any form is abhorrent to me as it should be to all of us. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the show over to Sarah, who's going to run the conversation with uh, one of our board members, Mark, and Ty is here as well. Guys, take it away. Hello, everybody. My name is Sarah Chung. I use she and they pronouns, and I will be moderating this conversation on just where some of us are at in terms of the aftermath of what happened in Atlanta. First and foremost, I just wanted the other folks who are joining me on this call to please say your name and your pronouns and how you identify, and we can start from there. My name is Mark Hanohana from Long Beach, California. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Tyann Wilmath. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and my pronouns are her, she, and I am from South Korea. And this is Byron Lee, and I'm just here to record and to make sure that all of the technical things go smoothly, and I identify as he, him, and thank you for having me here to, to help you guys out. Okay, I wanted to start off this conversation by saying there will be a lot of sensitive topics. So content warning for folks who might be sensitive to, well, we all are sensitive to violence and to hatred and to <laughs> some of what's going on in today's climate. But there will be mention of probably xenophobia, at least on my part. I just wanted to give folks a heads up. Uh, racism, ableism. And I just want folks to be mindful of that. 
Also, I will be giving mental health resources at the end of this show. Uh, with that being said, I want to start off by asking everyone here a question. In the light of the rise in hate crimes and the nearest tragedy in Atlanta, can you give us an idea of one ward or um, just kind of how you're feeling in this moment? And I can go first and, and give an example of where I'm at. One word that really comes to me is depleted. I think that I am in a place where I'm unfamiliar with this caliber of grief. Microaggressions and racism have been experiences that I've had throughout my lifetime, but I've never experienced this type of hatred. And I feel depleted because I'm at a place where I'm not sure how I can help my community. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to have this kind of discussion. This is Mark. I, um, I, I don't know. It's very surreal in a way because I'm just like, really? We were the amount of hatred that's out there. Like, why is there so much? Like, we've, we've gone through very similar things like this before. I know what happens. For these type of things to be happening and feels like a scary time and to have to constantly think about being out in public or being around other people and not really knowing what other people are thinking. Ty? It's kind of scary to think about the fact that I already as a female have to worry when I go out if I'm gonna face any danger and then I'm Asian on top of that it kind of makes me not want to go out a whole lot. Byron did you want to say anything? This has been a very rough time for my friends who are Asian and so by proxy, it's been a rough time for me because I don't know how to help. And I have been doing a lot of reading. I have been listening to a lot of podcasts, trying to educate myself and figure out what my contribution in these difficult times can be or should be, because I don't want to sweep the problem un under the rug. But I also don't want to be one of those people that is offering suggestions, advice, solutions to problems that are not my problem. I don't want to um, be offering solutions where they're not wanted or needed. It's difficult because it's sort of a tightrope of helping to change this problem and also being a part of the problem. This is Anthony. The word itself is I'm disgusted. I can't imagine that we're in 2021 and these things are happening. I, my aunt and, and my, my aunt is Filipino and my cousins are half Italian, half Filipino, and, and one of my girl cousins was spit on and things were said. Um, I didn't find this out until about two days ago. This happened about four months ago. I'm just disgusted. I can't understand. Well, I understand where it comes from and why it's happening, but I can't understand that it's as prevalent. It, it feels like 10 years ago, there were pockets of it. People were still, I guess, under their rocks, and it wasn't okay to be as vocal, to be on social media, to be in the streets saying the things and acting on things that are born from hatred. And the radical shift to make it so okay to be hateful, just I'm disgusted. And I have the biggest and deepest want and sympathy for those that are experiencing this. I just want you to feel love and feel accepted. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah. We also should be looking at the positive things that are happening. Like I know one of the things that recently my work has done being a pretty big organization in LA is they've started an, an inclusion council in order to help get feedback and be able to provide more support and resources. And so these are some of the things that are important because I think sometimes we 
we kind of forget about like the community that we live in and and some of those important things of how we can possibly make a positive change. We you know we don't see these type of things happening in our community, and I know that they may not be as much as some of the things that are happening because they they seem so big, but there are some communities and some places that are making some type of positive impact. And I think it's important that some people and places make those type of changes as well. Thanks, Mark. Does anyone else have anything to add to this? Just that in the conversations, all of them, and there are so many of them, I wish this was a beacon of light that would make everybody understand that mental health, everyone's mental health needs to be more attended to and needs to not be such a taboo thing to say that I need help with something, anything, whether it be isolation just from being alone for a year of COVID to I don't understand these feelings that I have against other human beings. Mental health is just not taken seriously enough in this country. I agree. I'm going to move on to my next question and it's kind of loaded. So we'll see where this conversation goes from there. This is a question that I've asked myself many times and how have I been affected by, I I identify as legally blind and I identify as a second generation Korean American and I identify as queer. And what barriers have we faced with how we identify? Like how have our communities uh, been supportive of each other and how can we construct a better model of safety and caring for one another? Because in my experience, um, once I have gained an acceptance within one community that I've interacted with, I'll run into a barrier. And it's kind of frustrating because once I, I'm like, oh, I feel wonderful here in the blah, blah, blah community, but there will run into like an accessibility issue, right? Or there will be ableist comments or something like that. I've noticed that in certain spaces that is common. And so I'm I'm afraid of speaking up, right? And saying, I need this, even though that is how from, you know, day one, I've been told you have to speak up for what you need. How can we make spaces more accessible for ourselves as XYZ identifiers? And um, I want to reiterate that I'm someone who really likes to sit in the gray area of how they identify. I'll say it if they ask, you know, if people ask, how do you identify? And I think it's really important to shed some light on like erasure, right? Because I have been stifling myself down for X amount of years. And then throughout my growing process of being like, oh, I'm really going to focus on feeling safe and confident in my Asian identity, for example, or feeling safe and confident in disability identity or queer identity. So I, I was wondering if folks can speak a little bit more on how we should do that. And anyone can feel free to jump in. This is an open. You know, I don't want to romanticize the civil rights era of the 60s and the early 70s, but there were some major strides that were taken. And when you look back, and it wasn't all hunky-dory, don't get me wrong, but there was so much more unity between all of the cultural, the disability, the disabled community, LGBT community. You know, we they all stood together so many times and i think we've gotten into we've gotten into a culture where even in in the blind community we're reaching out now to other disabled communities but you know from what i'm to understand for for a good long time it's been only the blind community advocating for themselves and not really partnering with anybody else and i can definitely speak to the same thing for the lgbt community gbtq community excuse me and even within the lgbtq community there's so much strife 
amongst various subsectors of identities. And and there's there's not this big one wall of unity. And I think that's what's missing. And I, I wish that, you know, when we, you know, when we were asked to state our pronouns, that, you know, everybody would say, I'm human and I identify as. I think that, you know, we've forgotten to take how important being human is. That is a really powerful statement, Anthony. Thanks so much. Mark, would you like to give your thoughts? Well, it's a, definitely a loaded question, for sure. I, I guess I could agree with Anthony when it comes to being more inclusive of other groups, not just kind of, kind of departmentally nice, you know what I mean, into one group, but to kind of expanding and being able to be more inclusive with others around us and being able to um, show we have more, you know what I mean, in common, you know, when it comes to not just blindness, but people with disabilities or queer or gay, whatever it may be that they identify with or whatever group they may identify with. I think it's really hard for some people to do that because sometimes people don't know what group (laughs) they feel that they identify with or they feel that they could fit in. I can say, you know, coming from a background of being Latino, Hawaiian, and even having a little bit of, just like a little bit of Japanese in me too, it's kind of hard for me to kind of sometimes you know, there's groups or things like that that I feel that I may not fit or fit better in and things like that. So it's it's uh, it's definitely a wide spectrum. And it's definitely something that I guess we can all work work on, of, you know what I mean, being a part of. Thank you, Mark. Um, Tyanne, do you have, can you please share your thoughts on this question? So part of it is I have to be comfortable with who I am. And I normally do not say how I identify with groups unless somebody asks, because especially these days on Zoom and social media platforms, it's kind of like I just like to be kind of in the background. And if somebody asks, I'll say, yeah, okay, I'm Korean or yeah, I'm legally blind and have enough vision to get me into trouble but i will not freely give information like that thank you so much uh byron would you like to share anything being a person who identifies in multiple communities that don't always get the support that they should it's hard to exist in one group without rubbing someone else the wrong way in a different group. I am Caucasian. uh, I'm white. um, And so I live in that community. I'm visually impaired. So I live in that community. And I am um, pansexual. So I live in the LBGTQ plus uh, community. And there are times where those three things don't always intersect. And so giving everyone the support that they need can sometimes make someone else feel alienated. Uh, And like you said, it is a really loaded question because um, trying to provide equal opportunities and provide support for everyone does not always bode well. Sometimes it sets someone else off. Being someone who's blind and tries to participate in the sighted world, I don't always have large print or audio or digital text so that I can read what I'm looking at. And and I have to speak up and ask for it. And sometimes it feels like I'm a burden to that other community, like they have to go through extra work for me. And so I'm sure that that feeling extends into other situations that people are getting into. 
Thanks, Byron. I definitely agree with that. Um, sometimes I'm not sure in what way I can speak up to make sure that my voice is still heard. I think it comes down for me to like personal safety, right? Like, do I feel safe enough to inform others of where I'm at? Um, and I'm just going to move on to our next speaking point about personal safety. For myself, in terms of safety um, these days, I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. And as a blind person, I consistently deal with like this hypervigilance, right? I feel like all eyes are on me. And that now has been exacerbated by clearly physically identifying as Asian. And so I've been wondering, how can I not let my fear overcome my life now that these kind of hate crimes are cropping up? According to Stop AAPI Hate, Stop Asian Hate, hate crimes against Asians have risen. I think they had some really insane number. It was, I think, like 1900% or something like that. I'll, I'll go back and we can put it in the description. But I'm not going to lie when this, particularly in this, in this last year, when I heard about hate crimes becoming more and more prevalent, I was mostly terrified for my parents because they immigrated to this country in the 1980s and they have made it this far. And in terms of family, I'm so used to just keeping my head low and making sure that I don't stand out, but I can't really do that when it comes to, you know, my skin tone or how I present physically. So uh, what I'm wondering is, have any of you experienced fear now that something as tragic as Atlanta has happened, you know, the shootings in Atlanta. Have there been moments where you have been scared to leave your house? Because I've definitely, definitely been there. Mark, if you want to go first, and then Diane, and then Byron and Anthony, or whichever order you feel comfortable with, go ahead. For myself, being so, so diversely mixed, Bill, when it comes to safety, I I feel that um, it, it's definitely something that's more prevalent now with everything going on versus what it was before. Maybe I thought about it before, but not as much as I do now, if that makes sense. So that totally makes sense. Um, Tan? So as far as safety and getting out, I kind of have to because I have a guide dog, but I can't see facial expressions. So I can't, you know, it's hard for me to tell okay, are they looking at me because I'm blind? Are they looking at my family because, well, I'm Asian, my husband's white, and my girls are mixed. So I'm kind of in fear of what's going to happen when school starts up in person again and racism is carried down from what the parents think Luckily, we kind of live in a diverse community, but at the same time, we are the minority. Thank you so much, Byron. So I, I don't fear for, I don't feel fear for myself because I'm not you know the the target of these hate crimes, but I feel a lot of fear for my friends who are Asian. If anything happens, you know, if, if someone doesn't show up for something or, or someone goes missing, right now my immediate reaction is, oh my God, what, what happened to them? Were they a target of a hate crime? And it might not have anything to do with that. They might have just overslept or whatever. Uh, my, my brain right now just immediately goes to the worst possible place because that's what I've just gotten used to expecting in America these days. We wake up every morning and it's like a black cloud of 
of dread. I'm dreading turning on the television or turning on the radio to hear what, you know, fresh batch of crap the you know we have going on in this country and it's just it, it it feels like it never gets better it feels like we're just sort of slipping down a slippery slope of things getting worse and worse and worse so yeah i feel fear for my friends who are different in any shape way or form because i don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next i think i feel the same way byron does i i feel fear for my friends. I feel fear for family members that I have. You know, my cousin has a three-year-old who will be going to school in two years and she's clearly, you know, favors her mom um, side of the family more. And I I just fear, and, and I fear for all of the kids in general that don't understand. They hear this on TV. They see it on social media. Children aren't born with this. This does not come out of out of the DNA. This does not come out from the womb. So, you know, I fear the, the confusion and the, and the horrificness of, of what the generation that, that are tiny right now, they had to deal with a you know, year and, and plus of being locked up because of the pandemic. And, and so what do they do? They, they turn to the television and their computer screens and their phone screens, and they see hate and hate and hate. I, I don't know about the rest of you guys on this call, but I didn't grow up feeling so much hate coming from so many different directions. And when there was an incident that happened, it was shocking. It was almost life altering to a certain extent. We talk about mass shootings when Columbine happened. It rocked the entire country for weeks. Now, you know, it gets about a 72 hour news cycle and it's on to the next. What are the generation that that are three and five and seven and eight? You know, are they going to be so desensitized that it just doesn't affect them anymore? Those are the things I fear. I feel the same way, Anthony, like sort of just going back and forth here. But I, I'm just worried that we're going to get to a place where where shootings uh, based on racial mo- racially motivated hate, you know, hate is going to become the norm and people are going to get desensitized to it. And it's just going to be business as usual when when the shooting at Columbine happened, it was national news. And now there are shootings at schools all the time. And yeah, they make the news, but they don't hit as hard as, as that one did because it was, it was, it was just this terrible thing that nobody could imagine that your child goes to school and that they're in danger just for going to school. And, and like people are just kind of used to it. Now I hear kids talking about having a lockdown at school or a drill at school. And they just talk about it like, yeah, yeah, we had a lockdown at school today. Uh, and it's like, it's not a big deal to them because it's an everyday occurrence. And that's terrible. That's horrible. We used to have fire drills and bomb drills where we'd have to climb under the desk. I don't know what they were thinking. What was the desk really going to do for us? But that's besides the point. You know, I could never have conceived having a lockdown drill, having actual, you know, terminology like active shooter and, you know, escape hatch routes and all these term all this terminology that kids have to know just to get through the day at school. It's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenally disturbing. I was going to say, I, I totally agree with both you and Byron. I I never thought that I would see the day where I have to teach my my visually impaired staff about, you know, active shooting on campuses, especially like ours, because ours is like a school. So I totally understand. Sarah, you're you're 
a bit younger than I am. Can I ask you a question? When you, when you were coming up through school, um, especially the the earlier years, were you taught, you know, in an overwhelming percentage about the melting pot, about what, you know, how America came to be and, and what we were as a country? I was just going to touch on that in my next topic, Anthony. Um, awesome. When I was growing up, I just learned about your typical, like, Christopher Columbus. There was nothing about the Chinese Exclusion Act. There was nothing... Uh, you know, we, we barely touched on the Korean War. And when I first started going into the school system and being in the public eye more as a kid, even my parents, my dad was like, people are going to other you. And I was like, well, why would they other me? Like, why? Why would they other me? And then, um, you know, I, I went to school with like dumplings or something or kimchi or something like that. And immediately it was your lunch smells, you are gross, blah, 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 or something, something really hateful and harmful to a child's psyche, right? So I had to kind of blend, right? I asked for lunch money. Um, I, I asked for sandwiches. I never really got to have another Asian identifying friend until, um, honestly, until they, my parents made me go to Korean school from grade two through the end of middle school. And that's where I started being integrated with more Korean identifying folks. And even there, they're like, so what's your school? Like, oh, you don't have that many Asians there? Oh, that must really stink because I have a lot of Asian friends. And well, wow, like that's astounding to me. So uh, that really leads into my next question. I guess, when did you realize that you were quote unquote different in terms of your racial identity? I didn't really know. I didn't really. I think that what happened with me was that I accepted my blindness first because I was constantly in this strange purgatory of having one foot in my very Korean household. Right. And then once I leave my house, I just kind of blended into this, into this predominantly white community. And I was like, I'm going to, first of all, you can't recognize that I have any sort of accent. So it's just normalized. Right. When did they recognize, when did you recognize that, that you were different and that you weren't quote unquote white. So I can start this one. I was adopted into a white family when I was two. And so it was kind of obvious from the beginning. And I felt different, but at the same time, I had to blend in because I didn't know any other Asians or Koreans. And I was not taught Korean culture. I was taught white culture. So I've known from the beginning that I'm different, but I have never been able to actually express the Asian part. That sounds like a, a really tough dynamic, Tyann. You have an interesting perspective on this because I know that there are a lot of Korean American adoptees that I'm friends with and they had to find their own way of Korean culture. And I can't relate at all. I had to find my way to acceptance also because of my surroundings. And that was something at the time that was beyond my control. Mark, do you have any thoughts on this? I believe that I think I knew more than I was different when it came to my last name going around. You know what I mean? More than anything. Because I think really a lot of people couldn't really figure me out what I was, if you could say. You know what I mean? Like to many different people, I could be different. I didn't really re understand why it was so important for people to understand. I didn't understand why it was so important to know who exactly I was. Like, was I Asian? Was I was I Latino? Was I whatever it was? But sure. to me, it didn't really matter. I had a blended family. Growing up, I grew up in two cultures of a huge Hawaiian family and a huge Latino family. And it, it was just 
very different. And I felt sometimes even when being in school and stuff that I had to choose. Yes, totally. <laughs> like a side, if that makes sense. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like you have to choose. But the question to myself was like, why? Why? I mean, there's nothing wrong with either of them. I don't feel Absolutely. one is better than the other or why? And then that's, that's just how I felt, really. Even now, you know, I find it very interesting how the first thing when meeting people, it's all about like, so where are you from? Or how, you know what I mean? And like, uh, I'm from here. <laughs> You know, so I just think it's just very interesting yeah. how sometimes people want to know exactly the first thing they want to know is culturally, where are you from? You know, and um, I can seriously say I still struggle with that with a way of being able to describe is it I'm Latin or I'm Hawaiian or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like that's so it could be tough sometimes. For sure. still. I just want to quickly highlight a story you reminded me of. I travel for judo or I did pre-COVID. I was traveling to Azerbaijan, uh, Baku for a tournament. And um, I went up to the counter to check in at my hotel and it was about three in the morning. And I had ridden the bus with Team Mongolia and (laughs) I was the only US teammate that was there. And so all of them weren't able to check in. But when I went to check in and my coaches and staff had said that I would be totally good, you know, no one would have to come down and get me and they'll just show me to my room. And it turned into a bit of a conflict because I told them and I'm garnished in all USA gear because that, that's what they instruct us to do is to wear your US gear. And I gave them my passport and everything and they refused to let me into my room because of how I looked. They're like, well, you're not, aren't you with Team Mongolia? I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm from the, I'm wearing US gear. Like, what is this? And it was disappointing because the U.S. is a melting pot of all different cultures and diversities, and we're not homogenous. There's no one place where it's like only Koreans are here or whatever. They had to call my coaching staff down and someone had to come get me and be like, nope, this is one of ours. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I totally get that. It's it's a lot to process. And sometimes you just don't want to deal with it. I have a question for you guys. I don't know what ethnicity I am. I don't even know. Our family is made up of a whole bunch of different things. It sometimes comes up when talking about genealogy or whatever, but white people hardly ever get asked, oh, where are you from? Unless it has something to do with like ancestry or like your family tree or something. If it's like small, polite conversation, I guess, or whatever. But you know, people see a white person and they live in America and they speak American accent into English. And so they just figure, oh, you're American. Uh, Whereas Sarah, you've lived in the United States your whole life. And, you know, you have uh, American accented English, but you have different skin colors. So people automatically ask you, like, where are you from? Uh, And and so that's kind of like, I'm I'm American. I'm from here. But um, I'm American. My question for you is, uh, and for everyone else here is that Going to school with white people and and growing up in a predominantly white culture, did you end up having to hide a lot of your culture and and a lot of like you were talking about the kind of food that you'd bring to school and how it was embarrassing because it smelled different from everyone else's bologna or turkey or whatever? You know, did you have to do a lot of hiding of your own culture? And then like for Tyann, you were talking about being adopted and and growing up in a white culture and didn't get a lot of uh, Korean culture growing up. I'm interested in also hearing um, if you had to go and find your culture because um, you grew up away from it. And so you kind of had to like rediscover all that stuff. At first, I honestly, when I was a kid, I didn't know, right? Like I was like, this is just how it is. And I accepted it. And I think that's kind of the, the beauty of being a kid. You know, you're just like, well, I know that this is tough, but why can't I talk about it? Or why can't I, I um, assimilate to my white friends? Because they're like, what, what is kimchi? Like, what is that? Ew. Or like, there was this moment where 
my friends would ask, what did you do this weekend? My just default answer is Korean school. I went to Korean school from nine to one every Saturday. And that's where I was like, oh, it's homogenous here. Like everyone's Korean, blah, blah. But I did have to do a lot of processing when I was younger. Who do I want to be? Strip away all of the labels and um, how I present and, and so on and so forth. All the complications that come with adulthood and identifying and finding yourself. I didn't really get into that until I was in high school, I feel like. And even then I was kind of jaded, right? Because I was surrounded by folks who were not like me. You find your friends and you find people who you feel safe talking to and then processing with them, but they still are going to be like, I don't get it because I've never been there. And that's completely fine. There was a lot of self-doubt there and a lot of stifling (laughs) and I think what really brought me to a point where I can speak out and and present proudly, because I've always been someone who is proud of being Korean. Uh, that has been ingrained in me for my entire life. But to identify as Korean American, I had to ask myself, what does it mean to be American? And the thought behind that is, I don't think there's one there's one solid answer to that. There is no answer. It's just how you feel personally. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. That's very interesting. That That's very good way of saying it. So as a child, I was not exposed to anything Korean. I had not had Korean food until probably, oh, 10 years ago. And I wish that I had started earlier. I would... I'm still trying to find out more about Korean culture and trying to learn some Korean and wishing that I could have uh, been able to explore this with my adopted mom. And I wish she hadn't changed my name because I like my Korean name that I was given. Do you ever feel like people discount the struggles that you go through as far as racism because you're closer to white than other races? Like people think that you can assimilate more easily into white culture because your skin tone is lighter. And so they, they treat your struggles or your experiences with re- racism as if they're not as, as big of a deal. Um. Yeah, even in my own household right now, like Alan likes to report on the news because I'm not very good at following the news sometimes. And it's kind of like, you know, he doesn't think of me that way. I'm just his wife. He's not very good at Mm. seeing it like I'm Asian and what, Mm -hmm. how I would feel. I can say that for, for myself that, being mixed once again to me it's easier sometimes to to blend in with other groups and other communities but then i feel that it's just harder to to feel like you're still a part of it because you still have you know what i mean there's still other parts Mm -hmm. of you that feel like you belong you know what i mean in other places as well but i would say that i have many friends that are um that i feel have definitely have a harder time looking at it i feel that for myself it may be easier to to blend in or be able to be a part of something and and for them it's harder because uh you know a lot sometimes a lot of people look at what they look like first or where they're from first and then go from there but i i could say like for me when when i meet people people are really surprised because they're looking they're thinking oh i i thought you were like 
Hawaiian, but you look like Latino. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely I feel that everybody is everybody's struggle is definitely different. Some struggles are harder for others. And I, I think that that's when people even like myself, I would say, should be able to help those other people that are struggling with being able to adapt to those other groups or being able to feel like they can't fit in, you know, by helping them by being able to like, hey, they could be a part of this group, you know what I mean? Like, or, or, hey, this is, that that isn't right what you said, or things like that, but to helping to stand up for them, because as a person who can, you, you know what I mean? You really do understand what they are going through. And you may not get that all the time, but when you do, you understand how it is. Right. That, that feeling of connection with someone. I, I wasn't sure what I, <laughs> when I first felt it, I was like, wow, there are queer Korean folks out there wow, there are other <laughs> blind Korean folks out there. Or because it, I guess in a in a predominantly white neighborhood, there, I will not see another Korean person. And for a while, unless my mom's like, well, I went out to, you know, the other suburbs and where it's more predominantly Asian. My parents both typically go through services that they need from other Korean identifying folks. So that makes a lot of sense. Also, I want to add that sometimes when, you know, like, for example, in summer, if I get a tan, people will be confused. Like, they'll be like, wait, so for a lack of a better term, they'll be like, so so what are you? And I'm like, does it matter? Like, does it matter at the end of the day? If my perspective is important, then I'll give it. But why do you even have to ask? I, I think this this has been a problem for our country since the beginning. Um, my great grandmother was a seamstress for the Vatican before my family came here. And um, she eventually became the very first female president of the uh, Garment Workers Union in New York City. But when she got here, it was horrible. Um, They were treated horribly. You know, the Irish went through the same thing. The Italians went through the same thing. And I think our family, you know, we've always been Italian-American. I love being Italian. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, I wanted to be American. I didn't want to be Italian-American. I felt like it was putting a separation between the other groups that are out there. And when you were talking about going to Korean school, I I was in my head, I was laughing and thinking about the the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you know, and, and of course, you know, it was over, you know, it was dramatized for comedy. But, you know, we saw that in, you know, we saw that in New York. And there are pockets of of areas, neighborhoods that are predominantly Korean. There are predominantly Greek neighborhoods. There are predominantly Italian neighborhoods. This is why I really feel like I'm a human American should be the first identification. And then if you if you're getting to know someone, then hey, yeah, my family lineage comes from from Italy, Napolitan, and and Rome. But as an identification, you know, first and foremost, human American. And then I happen to be Italian. I happen to be gay. <laughs> Do you know? That's, that's sure. my perspective so far. Absolutely. You touched on a lot of like, wow, stuff for me, like human American. That That's really, yeah. Like, I can't agree more. American is just where I'm from right now. You know, I was born here. I was raised here. That I think makes it's so much sense. I think it's something that can be changed. For example, <laughs> I have friends overseas and in Europe and like, uh, like, let's say London. Mm. It's very interesting because like when you have conversations with somebody like them, like, you know, here in America, it's different. Like, you know how we talk to people, it's different. 
we ask about personal stuff, right? You know what I mean? Like not right away, but you know, we get into that whole personal stuff, like, Hey, how are you doing? How are your kids? What, whatever it is, but there, you know what I mean? Like you don't really ask personal questions like that. If you don't know the person right. very well, I think that that's what happens here when it comes, that's what just people know what to do. Like the first question they ask, like, where are you from? What do you mean where I'm from? You know what I mean? Like, I just think that sometimes that's just what people are used to. They may, some people may intentionally say that as well, but I think that that's what people are used to just doing automatically off the bat. And maybe that's something we can all change, you know, instead of starting off with the conversation <laughs> that way, change it to something more positive, you know what I mean? And do it that way. So, mm-hmm. but that's the thing though. If you ever take a look at a large group of very young children, unfortunately it happens way too early in, in all of our in lives. But if you take a look at a, at a diverse group of very young children, if you go to the, one of the parks in central park, there is no separation of anything, color, economic, you know, they just play and have fun and you will see these little friendships pop up and amazing little things. And you think to yourself, okay, you know, we're doing this to each other. We're doing this to ourselves and we're doing this to each of each other. Have there been any moments recently, you know, due to the the pandemic where you have been self-conscious about how you present racially and then add the layer of other identities on top of that? I could definitely say that I racism and and other identifiers or other things have been on the forefront of my mind because in my community I have experienced microaggressions against my parents and myself and with myself I've also experienced ableism right something that hasn't been experienced by my parents but we can relate to each other because people have othered them so recently because of covid and all the things I haven't gotten any blatant like go back to your country type comments but it seems as though folks have a lot less patience for people who don't have the English language as their first language. So I've experienced a lot of that recently with just translating for my parents. And uh, it's been an exhausting process, even more so now, because I have to ask myself, are they treating me like this because I'm Asian and it's and because it's it's a time during the pandemic where we're not quite out of it yet? Or are they treating me like this because they just plain don't like me? So I'm wondering to those of you, have you experienced that kind of othering in the community? Mark, if you want to go first. I can say, I can't say that I really, that I have experienced that really. I told the, the story earlier about, about my cousin that was spit on and, and we just recently all found this out, you know, and her first, her first, you know, response, why didn't you say anything was I was ashamed and that like made me want to cry. It, it, it hurt so bad inside. Like, why would you be ashamed? You did nothing. That's disgusting. That's an act of disgust from someone. There is nothing to be ashamed about. You know, I, I can't relate to a lot of parts of this conversation. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something either, you know, any of you guys have ever felt. Uh, the worst question that I've gotten is, do you, and this pertains to both blindness and to Asianness. Uh, the worst question that I've ever gotten is, do you even know that you're Asian? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Which is you know, astounding, have, right? So my mother used to be in foster care when she was in her teens. She was at a, staying at a place where they had a few babies. My uncle came to visit her because he was in the military. He came to visit her 
And uh, my mother wanted just to play a small joke. So she goes, she, she picked up one of the babies and said, oh, this one is, my mother is totally blind, by the way. So she picks up one of the babies and she says, oh, this one is my child. This is my baby. My uncle whispers in her ear, do you know that the baby is black? So, you know, sometimes people are, <laughs> it's just very interesting how people react. You know what I mean? When, when that happens. And for us, especially for people that are visually impaired, that may not mean anything, you know what I mean, to us at all. And we don't understand why that is such a big deal for some people, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. when that those type of things happen. And as silly as it does sound, I think it's interesting how that didn't even run across my mom, my mother's mind. Like, it didn't matter to her. She had help mm-hmm. taking care of the baby, so it wasn't really a big deal. That, you know, those are just some of the things that I could think of connected to those, some of those type of scenarios that have happened. Tan. No, I can't point out anything. I just know that, uh, you know, I totally get looks, whether it's because I'm blind, whether it's because I'm Asian, female. I forget, and people have to remind me uh, when, like, they say, like, I have a friend who does different shows, and she tries to highlight people of color or disability, and someone pointed out, don't you know that you're a person of color oh yeah okay technically but i don't think about that to be honest i don't feel like i had to until i was an adult you yeah. know like i i haven't had to and i feel like recently because of covid and the increasing visibility of the the asian community the AP, aapi community um i feel like I've, I've had to think about it even more than when i used to yeah um and it's astounding to me that people are like, after Atlanta, they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've never yeah. felt this kind of grief before. And, you know, knowing that that six of the, the victims were, you know, Asian, women. Asian women, it's just like, yeah. it completely derails me. Because uh, I, when I first found out about this, I was just trying to escape the the heaviness of this whole thing, because it could have happened anywhere. Violence can happen anywhere when it became real was when i when i was scrolling through socials and if anyone else uses tiktok someone had posted the 911 calls and it blatantly just completely made me lose anything that was happy right like i was like well i can't shield this anymore from entering yes. my thought space because that could have been my mom the woman that was on the phone i don't know who it was one of the spa owners or something she had an accent and I heard her as her, right? But I also heard her as my mom. Um, and it's like, wow, this is this is truly scary. It is scary to know that I don't know. Like, I've, I've had instances of stalking before. And I'm like, oh, this makes me so nervous. So I'm so used to looking behind my back. But now it feels elevated to an extreme level because of my racial identity. And that could be very hard, too, because then you think about the other factors, too. Like, you're visually impaired and you're a woman and you know what I mean? So all of those things and I can I could definitely understand you know what I mean, understand that and, mm-hmm. and it's I'm sure it's difficult at times to think about I mean, because you know, <laughs> there's many things different things coming at you in different ways. So there's so much. So I'm I wanna ask another question without sure. really going politics party wise with it obviously the the rise comes from where it comes from and you know the conversation the u- use of calling 
the corona, and, and I take umbrage that it's called the coronavirus, but um, calling the coronavirus anything but COVID or corona, a, the Wuhan flu or the Kung flu or all the other things that it's been, and that it's been mis, not mislabeled, horrifically labeled. There hasn't been enough of a pushback, like, no, this is not okay. And I'm wondering if if that, you know, affects self-esteem and, and feeling like this is, you know, this is your home, that this, do you want to disassociate when you hear things like that? I will answer right away. Yes, absolutely. I want to dissociate and run far, far away. But I think right now I have to provide a voice for the voices that, that cannot be heard. This started with attacks on, on Asian elders, right? People who yep. do not defend themselves. And it infuriates me. It infuriates me, but also saddens me because I didn't do enough before. And I think that's something that I get caught up in is I didn't do enough before. I should have been doing more to shed light on this and to talk about it more freely. On the other hand, I've talked to my mom and she's like, I'm not surprised. And I'm like, that's devastating to hear, right? That's devastating. I'm like, oh, that really, she's like, well, like people know that you're Asian. And so why does, of course, that violence is going to happen. I'm like, that really sucks. And it did for a long time. I think it all came to a front when Atlanta happened, right? Like when the shootings happened, I was like, holy cow, people are targeting people like me, period. That's a strong thing to feel. And the amount of grief surrounding the whole dynamic of community, it's like we've been working so hard. Like I I work uh, and go to marches and rallies for, for Asian Americans advancing justice and a slew of other causes. I haven't, I feel like I haven't been loud enough and there, there is some guilt and shame tied to that. But at the same time, I know that I'm doing all that I can. And this conversation is a huge part of that. So I really appreciate all of your participation. So I was just about to ask you about rallies, um, because I know that, that you've, you've been to some rallies this year and last year, um, most notably, uh, or most recently, uh, the one that you went to earlier this week, like, have you gotten up and spoken? You know, did you bring white friends with you to the rallies and what was their experience like? For sure. So I was at a rally yesterday and initially I was like, gosh, like this is 45 minutes away. How am I going to get like initially the the blindness thing came up first, right? Like transportation wise, how am I going to get there? I feel so, so, so strongly about this and virtual community events is not enough for me. But coronavirus is still a thing and the pandemic is still a thing and social distancing is still a thing. And I was terrified to go, honestly. I'm like, I don't know if I could be around that many people. It could be 10 people or it could be 50 people or it could be 100 people. And oh. so I'm just like, what, what's going to happen? What are we doing? Uh, granted, I am completely floored by the organizer. She is a 16-year-old Korean-American um, that organized all this by herself. You know, she, she contacted her representatives and just organized all of this. And I'm like, if our youth can can do something like this because they feel so strongly about it, I can do it too. And every voice that can be a voice should should make an effort. And um, I'm hoping to organize a rally in my city because I feel like folks would show up. So I, I'm really empowered, even though I'm the empowerment is driven by grief, right? Grief and anger. I'm, I'm empowered to do something about it now. I'm so used to silencing that part of myself that and now people are dying because of it. I could be better. So that's where I'm coming from. Tyanne? I have not participated in any kind of rallies or any groups because I really don't know anybody around here who is 
Korean or Asian that I can relate to. And, you know, I had a couple people that I saw before the pandemic and they're all the way across town and have their own lives. So it's really hard for me to have people that I can confide in and relate to. One of the things I haven't been to a rally, but I would say that one of the things I have done to take a more active role would be um, such as joining that inclusion council at work, you know, be a part of something that would be able to help people better understand others and being able to create more ways of being able to share you know what I mean, about each of the communities and help the community be able to heal from something like this and also be able to lift them up and create more ways of being able to provide different programs and things like that that would be able to better our communities and make sure things like this don't happen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. We originally had planned to have Min Ha as part of our panel, um, but she was unable to attend. But she really wanted to say a few words about, uh, you know, her thoughts on all of what's been going on. And so I actually have something that she wrote out, you know, her thoughts and her words. Would it be all right if I read that? Yes, thank you. Uh, Minha is the president of the uh, ACB Students Affiliate, and uh, she wrote this out, uh, put a lot of effort and thought into it. So she says, When I read about the victims of the Atlanta area spa shooting, I see my mom in their stories, their courage, their character, and dedication to family, and the unceasing hope for a better tomorrow. My mom immigrated our family from Vietnam because she knew that it would give me, her disabled daughter, the opportunity to receive an education and the possibility of a stronger future. She sacrificed everything for this dream and just like the mothers and grandmothers and sisters and aunts and friends whose lives have been unjustly extinguished, this shooting is a culmination of years-long dangerous rhetoric and hate against the Asian American community for the onset of the coronavirus. My heart is hurting, but I will always remember the lives that have been lost. And I urge you to continue to do everything that you can to combat hate and violence against all people of all different backgrounds. For we are all American, all having earned the right to live our lives without fear and to pursue that dream in whichever form that may take. So thank you, Minha, for those uh, words. And uh, it's too bad that we weren't able to get you today, but uh, I I just really appreciate you putting that time and effort in. Min, yeah, that was absolutely, I mean, that is so well written. BPI strives to be the open space for anyone. It, It doesn't matter LGBTQ or not, blind or not, and it doesn't matter what your identifications may or may not be. If you come with an open heart and you come with an open spirit, then you can be open in our family. And we've had a lot of tough conversations this year. And this is another one that that absolutely needs to be had. And I don't think an hour could ever do it justice. So I hope when people listen to this, they will send some feedback to BPI via membership at blindlgbtpride.org. We started before the queue was um, as popular as it is now. And it costs a lot of money to change websites and things. So we're going to stick with the LGBT for a little bit longer. But I digress, as you all know, I do. You know, if you have questions or comments and you want to be part of of a conversation that probably should continue past this hour, please reach out and let us know. Um, Sarah, I think maybe we should take a moment for everyone to give some final thoughts. And since this is your ballyhook, I think you should go first. 
I just want to reiterate that this is not a single person's battle. We have to actively try to be better. Um, And that's easier said than done, right? Like we can't automatically be like, I'm going to be better tomorrow. Like there's a lot more thought into that. Also, I want to reiterate that mental health, again, we want to touch on that is something that needs to be considered because for some folks, language access is an issue, right? And there are definitely resources out there. Uh, It's just a matter of finding them. For example, today I was a part of the Korean American Mental Health Professionals Zoom meeting just to process what has been going on for the last couple of weeks. I stand with everyone. I stand in solidarity and we are not done working. This is going to be an ongoing issue for a long time. So please, please be patient with yourself. Be patient with those around you and um, know that I am there in spirit cheering for you. So the work doesn't end here. Thank you for inviting me to this panel. This has been very good and it's totally a discussion that doesn't get pointed out very much. Byron? I am eternally grateful for having Sarah and Tyann and Mark as close friends and you guys have given me a lot of resources to look at for me to just educate myself more about what's going on in this country, uh, the things that are happening against Asian Americans. And so, you know, thank you guys for coming and speaking on Pride Connection. We really appreciate you. Just keep educating ourselves, guys. You just got to keep reading, keep learning, and, and keep trying to be better people. You know, I, w- I want to say the same thing. I want to echo the mental health, and that's maybe something that BPI will look at in another couple of weeks, opening up some mental health conversations. But I, I want to reiterate again, you know, I think we have Black Lives Matter, we have the API movement, you know, we have the blind movement. I hope we can all move into something like the human movement. Human lives matter, no matter what color, no matter what form it takes. Human lives matter, every single one of them. And to be cavalier or to, it's not in your town, it's not in your city, it's not part of your community. So if it doesn't sting, go into the bathroom, even if you can't see, and stand in front of the mirror for a minute and ask yourself, why doesn't the loss of six beautiful, vibrant, wonderful Asian women and the other two people that were lost, why doesn't that horrify me? Why doesn't it sting? Every human life matters. And uh, Sarah, you said you wanted to put up a couple of resources before we finish. I do have a couple of resources available, and I'll also include them in the description. The first resource is stopaapihate.org, where you can report any incidences of hate crimes that you may be experiencing if you are Asian American, um, AAPI presenting, identifying. And the other one is specifically for mental health. But if you need help with any of this, please visit the National Asian American Pacific Islander Mental Health Association's website, and they may be able to best direct you towards resources in your area. That website is N-A-A-P-I-M-H-A.org. A couple of other sources that you may be interested in looking into are provided by the Try Guys. First, their podcast that was mentioned earlier in the episode. Um, I will link that in the description of our show. And also Eugene Lee Yang's documentary on YouTube. Thank you so much, Sarah, Ty, Mark, and Byron for this amazing conversation. We'll be back next Tuesday with another great show. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. Someday we'll find it, the Rainbow Connection. The lovers, the dreamer.